Welcome to CU Anschutz 360, a podcast about the CU Anschutz Medical Campus. We feature faculty, staff, and students on our campus and their interesting and innovative work. Hello, I'm Chris Casey, Managing Editor in the Office of Communications. Today, let's introduce you to Dr. Huntington Potter, Professor of Neurology in the School of Medicine and Director of the Rocky Mountain Alzheimer's Disease Center. Well, Dr. Huntington Potter, thank you for uh, taking some time out to visit with us here today. Uh, This being World Alzheimer's uh, Month, we thought it would be an appropriate time to discuss some of the research going on around Alzheimer's and just talk about the disease in general and what we know about it. So first of all, could you just tell tell me uh, what is Alzheimer's disease and how, how does a person get it? Well, Alzheimer's disease is one of the diseases that can cause dementia. So first thing we have to get clear is that dementia is a clinical description of a disorder, um, but Alzheimer's disease is the most common way to get dementia if you're elderly. So that's why they're sometimes used interchangeably, mm-hmm. but uh, we should stick with uh, either Alzheimer's disease or other neurodegenerative diseases. Okay, and about how many people a year get Alzheimer's disease and how many currently have it? Well, currently, there are about five and a half to six million people with Alzheimer's disease in the United States. Uh, it's the sixth most common uh, cause of death, uh, certainly among the elderly. And uh, the total number of people who get Alzheimer's disease, I think, is about one every 45 seconds in the United States. So it's, it's pretty common. Wow. And could you explain a little bit about how you became personally interested in studying Alzheimer's, like was somebody in your family affected by it? Well, we actually don't know. My grandfather on my father's side died at about 85 with dementia, but he had enough other health problems. So it uh, could have been Alzheimer's, could have been something else we never knew. But that wasn't what got me excited. What got me excited was that Alzheimer's is probably the most important neurological disease. It is a biochemical disease. It is a genetic disease. And all of those were areas of my interest in you know, education. So it, it fit perfectly into what uh, I should be doing. And how is it that you chose to come to the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus to, to, do, to pursue your research into the disease? When I first was looking to move out of Florida for various reasons, I had started an Alzheimer's center there, and uh, things had changed. The recession had come, and uh, I was looking for a new opportunity. And so I was recruited to the Department of Neurology to start an Alzheimer's center, and uh, looked forward to it because it was a new opportunity, something to build from scratch. It was perfectly the kind of thing I like to do. Great. And could you describe maybe a profile of somebody who might be more likely to get Alzheimer's disease? For example, would uh, gender or lifestyle play into somebody's, um, you know, risk risk for it? Yes, that's a very good question. Unfortunately, women are at a higher risk of developing Alzheimer's disease compared to men. It's not because they live longer, although they do, and that increases the risk because age by itself is the greatest risk factor for developing Alzheimer's disease. But apparently the loss of estrogen at menopause, uh, possibly their lifestyle, we don't really know uh, why women are at higher risk. 
African Americans are at higher risk. Uh, Hispanics are at higher risk, but not perhaps as much as one might think, since sometimes their risk factors, such as cardiovascular problems, are suggestive of a much higher risk than they actually uh, exhibit. But I would say that the best thing to uh, remember is that Alzheimer's is an equal opportunity killer. Uh, we're all at risk. If we live to be 85, almost half of us will have Alzheimer's disease. And it's not as though one ethnic group or uh, another is protected or, or guaranteed to get it. We're, we're all in the same boat and we all have to bail like mad and fix the leaks. What about exercise or, uh, or smoking? Do they play any roles? Very good question. Smoking increases the risk of Alzheimer's about twofold. Exercise can reduce it uh, maybe 25 or 30 percent. Uh, we usually say that uh, you can't do very much about your genetics, but you can do something about your lifestyle, and exercise, exercise, exercise is good, not only for your heart, which you've been told for a long time, but also for your brain. And there was a recent article in the New York Times about um, weightlifting and how um, weight training appears to promote the creation of new neurons and maybe memory centers in the brain. Is there anything to that? Well, the kind of exercise that is most beneficial for Alzheimer's is still under uh, you know, investigation. Uh, for a long time, it was thought that uh, you know, some kind of exercise that increases your cardiovascular output was probably better, uh, but now some new research suggests that uh, there may be other kinds of exercise which would be good too. I think the jury is out yet. We have more research to do. And uh, how about the relationship of diet and Alzheimer's? Um, I've, we've heard anecdotally perhaps how coffee or maybe fish oil, uh, those added to a diet can maybe have beneficial uh, results. Yeah, that's a good question and is the subject of a lot of research right now. We did some work early on uh, with the mice that get Alzheimer's disease. They have a genetic human uh, mutation that has been taken from a family that has inherited Alzheimer's disease. Now the mice get Alzheimer's disease. When we fed the mice caffeine, their cognition got better. In fact, it returned to that of a perfectly normal mouse. If we look at the epidemiology, it seems that people who in middle age drink three to five cups of coffee a day are at about 60% reduced risk of developing Alzheimer's. But the problem with those kinds of epidemiological studies is that uh, the people who in middle age drink three to five cups of coffee a day are professors and you know, chief executive officers of companies, and they have many other features that may protect them from Alzheimer's. But we have to do an experiment, and the mice were ideal. Uh, we haven't extended that to people because you can imagine that taking a group of people who drink coffee every day and telling half of them they have to stop is going to require some convincing. And uh, taking people who don't drink any coffee and asking half of them to start drinking three to five cups of coffee a day is also difficult. Uh, so I don't think coffee is going to be the solution, um, but it does indicate that your environment and your diet may have an effect. And certainly the diets that are recommended for uh, good cardiovascular health, the MIND diet, the Mediterranean diet, the DASH diet, uh, basically these are vegetables and fruits and olive oil rather than animal-based fats uh, uh, plus exercise 
probably does help. And for now, it's the only thing we can do. Uh, talk a bit more about uh, the research going on into Alzheimer's. Um, for example, uh, what, have, what have we learned about the disease, such as what are the known unknowns and um, that you, you and your team are seeking answers to? I think the team of Alzheimer's researchers is really worldwide. We all talk to each other and we all exchange our results and, uh, and think about what to do. In general, the pathology in the brain, which are these Brillo pads or little amyloid uh, deposits and the tangles, which are killing nerve cells, uh, they're universal in the Alzheimer's disease brain, and they definitely cause the problems of nerve cell death and the dementia. What we don't know is exactly why they cause nerve cells to die, and that's one of the things that we're trying to find out. We also don't know exactly how early we're going to have to intervene because plaques in the brain probably occur 20 years before the first clinical symptoms and tangles at least five years. So that means Alzheimer's disease is not really a disease of the aged. It's a disease of middle age, which is only manifest later. So it's very likely we're going to have to develop interventions, drugs uh, that can be uh, started at the age of 50 after you've given a, uh, a blood test and, and somebody says, gee, you look at risk, and then we would uh, take that uh, drug or that treatment for the rest of our lives as a prevention. Trying to cure it after you already have it, that's going to be much more difficult. And um, you've alluded to this already, but inflammation is a hot topic in the world of Alzheimer's research. And is inflammation in the brain leading to some of this destruction of neurons? Yes, it is. And in fact, if there was no inflammation in the brain, we probably wouldn't get Alzheimer's disease. We can uh, treat mice uh, in ways that reduce the inflammation in the brain, and especially inflammatory proteins like apolipoprotein E or antichymotrypsin. These are proteins that have a natural function, but they help Alzheimer's disease progress. And without them, we would not have Alzheimer's disease. Now, unfortunately, we can't get rid of those proteins. They have a normal function, and they're very important. But it tells us how to, to potentially develop new drugs. We have to keep them from working on Alzheimer's disease. You mentioned new drugs. Uh, you're currently engaged in a clinical trial of a drug called Leukine. And I understand that that could be targeting neuroinflammation. Could you talk about how that tr uh, clinical trial is going and what, what that drug is designed to do? Uh, that's a very good question. We are in the middle of the trial for leukine, or I should say at the tail end of it, for our first pilot trial. And uh, it's looking promising in two ways. It's uh, not dangerous to people as far as we can tell. They've had no ill effects. And our report last year at the meetings suggested that our preliminary evidence indicates that people may be getting a little bit better in one test of cognition. Those data are encouraging, but they basically are encouraging us to uh, do a longer trial, which we will be starting in a couple of months. Now, the way that drug was found is that people with rheumatoid arthritis tend not to get Alzheimer's disease. They're protected maybe eightfold, and that's an inflammatory disease, as you know. So we thought, well, maybe the body is producing an anti-inflammatory molecule or is reacting to the rheumatoid arthritis in some way that accidentally 
uh, inhibits Alzheimer's disease from developing in the brains of these people. So we went looking, and Tim Boyd and I found many such possible uh, explanations, but we found that a protein called GMCSF may be the reason why people with rheumatoid arthritis are protected. It's increased in the blood of these people, and when we injected it into the mice, the mice got immediately better. So that was the source of the clinical trial because that drug is a, uh, a known human drug called leukine. It's not used for Alzheimer's disease until we tried it, uh, but it's used to stimulate the bone marrow to make more white blood cells of a special kind called macrophages and granulocytes. And these are like little Pac-Men. They go around the body and they eat up things that aren't supposed to be there, like bacteria and viruses and amyloid deposits. And also, what is the connection between Alzheimer's disease and Down syndrome? Everyone who has Down syndrome develops Alzheimer's disease pathology in the brain by the time they're 30 or 40 years old. The reason for that is that they carry three copies of chromosome number 21 in every cell of their body from conception, and chromosome 21 carries the Alzheimer's gene. So all of us have two copies they have three copies, and they start making those amyloid plaques in their teenage years. By the time they're 35 or so, their brains, if they should die and donate them to science, look like a 70-, 80-year-old Alzheimer's patient. Um, and most of them are demented by the time they're 60. So it's, it's very sad for them and for their families, but they're a great gift to uh, science and to all of us, including them, if they help us develop drugs for Alzheimer's disease. And, and here at the CU Anschutz campus, you lead the Rocky Mountain Alzheimer's Disease Center. Uh, how has that evolved into a leading regional research center, and um, what kinds of specialists do you employ there? When I came uh, seven years ago, we had one neurologist seeing about 100 people a year. Um, since then, uh, we've grown in the clinical realm and in the research realm, both clinical research and laboratory research, so that we have probably 50 people or so uh, at various uh, stages of, of research in Alzheimer's disease now. And the clinic sees almost 3,000 people a year. So that's grown, and that's grown thanks to philanthropy, some grants, the university, and we are now one of the major Alzheimer's research centers in the country with a lot of work and a lot of dedication from many people. What advice, given that the disease is always fatal, uh, what advice do you give people who are diagnosed with the disease as well as the important aspect of uh, advice to family members who are going to take on a pretty considerable burden uh, as caregivers? That's a very good question, and unfortunately, the answer is different for every patient and every caregiver. Uh, everyone uh, goes through the disease at a different rate. Everyone has different side effects of the disease, and I recommend that the most important thing is to not lose heart. Life is still good. The parts of it that you can enjoy, uh, remember from a caregiver's point of view, if your family member is acting out, is causing problems, stress comes, it's not them who's talking anymore, it's the disease. And patience, patience, patience is, is important. And get help as soon as you can. Uh, trying to do it all on your own is very, very difficult. And as I say, don't lose heart. A lot of scientists all over the world are trying their best to develop new treatments. 
and I'm sure that if it's not leukine or it's not leukine alone, it will be something like it that attacks the inflammation in the brain, that attacks the amyloid deposits, and may have to be used in combination, as we found for many diseases. A single silver bullet is, is probably not in the offing, but that's why we have to talk to each other and share our ideas and our research so that we can come up with the best combination treatment uh, in the next few years. And as you say, all this collaboration requires, I'm sure, considerable resources and, uh, and just cooperation and, and strategizing. Uh, what do you see as the biggest obstacles to finding a cure or new treatments for Alzheimer's? That's a good question, and I would say that it is uh, two major things. Uh, general lack of resources, which is slowly changing. Philanthropists have really built the Alzheimer's Center here at CU, along with the university. Uh, the NIH has finally convinced Congress, with a lot of help from the Alzheimer's Association and all of us researchers, and of course the people with Alzheimer's disease, that this is a problem that we absolutely have to solve. We'll go broke otherwise. The expectation is that if there are no treatments, that the cost for Alzheimer's disease to the nation would be about $1 trillion a year by 2050. So this is a major, major problem, not just a health problem, but a societal problem. That's recognized now. I would say the other problem is that uh, we really took for granted that understanding the mechanism of Alzheimer's disease was automatically going to give us a treatment, a cure. And it's just turned out to be more complicated than we thought. And also, it was realized uh, only in the last five years or so that we may need to start as early as 10 or 20 years before clinical symptoms in order to have a really major effect on the disease. And that's going to take special clinical trials and special efforts. So we're all working together. We're doing our best. And, uh, and we really appreciate the, uh, the support of the community. Well, Dr. Potter, thanks for sharing all this very important information, and uh, we appreciate it. Uh, we're very grateful to have you here and your team doing their work. So thank it's you. It's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks.